how I love to tell the story of God's redemption plan. How Jesus died to take our sins away. The finest words could not express what one old rugged tree said best for nailed to it was all God had to say the cross Oh. 
Amen. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of John. John chapter 1. John chapter 1. If you... Uh, you would when you arrive there at John chapter 1 stand with me in honor of God's word we're going to pick up a reading in verse 10 only going to read about four verses here and then share some truths this morning are we not blessed with a with our music program with our worship program and the Lord is so good to us prepares for us and prepares our hearts for the word. So thankful for that. Look at verse 10. John chapter 1 verse 10. He was, that's the Lord Jesus, that is the true light. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. I want to share with you this morning some, some, some really simple truths, some really simple facts. And uh, we'll open in prayer and then I'll say a few opening words and we'll get right to the scripture. Would you pray this morning specifically? Ask the Lord to... Show you something you've not seen before. To reveal to you a, a truth that you've not known. And you ask him to help you make application with it. So that you truly walk differently when you leave today. Would you be specific with the Lord this morning? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you, Lord, for the blessings that we've had already this morning. Uh, Lord, for the song services for the early service for the great number in Sunday school. So very encouraging. But Father, we uh, just come now, Lord, asking for something special. And God, I pray that uh, we are able to leave behind all of the things that have worried us and worked us throughout this week. And Father, that we've come this morning with a clear mind and an open heart seeking to receive from the word. Lord, we pray that your blessed Holy Spirit who is among us today would be given liberty to move and to teach and to illuminate and to guide. Father, we pray for a special clarity, a special understanding. Lord, I pray for those who are watching online. God, we, we don't know who they are. Father, I pray that you would prepare them for this message. We pray their hearts would be open to the truths of God's word. Lord, we love you today. We're thankful for all that you do for us, in us and through us. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. I mean, you can be seated. We're continuing here in this John chapter 1. This is still the prologue of the book of John. We're... Uh, there's so much here to see, and, and I want to share this with you this morning, uh, not from a hurtful perspective, but 
uh, I just want you to know, most of this should be common knowledge. To the born again, to the believer, we're talking about foundational understanding. And it, it should be common knowledge, but I'm increasingly amazed at the ability of, of man, mankind, to pervert and poison the most common truths. I'm also pretty amazed at the inability of many uh, quote-unquote seasoned Christians, that those who have been born again or Christian for many years, to contradict or counteract the inaccuracies of those perversions. I, I want to share a quick story with you and then maybe this will help in understanding where my mind is at this morning, where my heart is at. So I've known for, you know, several weeks that we'd be in this general location this morning. That's the, that's the, uh, the benefit of being in a book study or in a series. Uh, as late as Thursday, midday, uh, I knew these verses. I had them diagrammed in my mind. I had them diagrammed on paper. I knew what I wanted to say, but the, there was a couple of pesky little items like a title uh, that doesn't matter to everybody, but it does to me. Uh, and then the points, you know, the points that we use, uh, those things are there for learning indicators and for reminders. And I didn't have that. I had the body of the message, but none of that stuff that you normally would develop early. And it was midday, later midday Thursday, and uh, Angel had gone for the day. Uh, there was a group of people here meeting with classical conversation, doing their open house, and the phone rang, the, the church phone, which I generally don't answer. Uh, I shared with other folks earlier, I'll always answer my cell phone, and if you leave a message, I'll always call you back. I believe in communicating. I, I'll send you an email. I just don't answer that phone. Because that phone's normally got a telemarketer on the other end of it. But I answered it that day. And uh, a friend was there. I'm not going to say his name. I shared his name earlier, but, you know, I don't, I don't know. He may be watching. And if you are watching, uh, watch all the way till the end. I'm asking you. I'm begging you. Stay with me till the end. Uh, this gentleman uh, said, this is my name. And uh, he said, I need to talk to a minister. I said, well, I'm the pastor. And he said, okay, you'll do. I, uh, right off the bat, we were on rocky ground, right? And uh, uh, he said, I want to ask you a question. And so he began asking questions. And uh, this, this individual uh, was, uh, he was well read. Uh, he knew a lot of scripture. He knew a lot of uh, girth of Bible from, from Old and New Testament. Unfortunately, uh, during the course of the conversation, I learned pretty quickly, he didn't know the Lord. And so from an academic perspective or from a memory perspective, he knew the scriptures, but they did not say to him what they say to me. And they, they, they would, he probably didn't say to you uh, what they said to him. And, and we began talking and pretty quickly I realized I shouldn't have answered the phone, uh, but I did. And I was trying to be polite and I was trying to work because I felt sorry for uh, him. And 
I finally got to a point. I said, listen, tell me, tell me this. What is the purpose of this conversation? What are you trying to accomplish either in this conversation or with this line of thinking? Where do you want to end? And his whole conversation, his whole perspective was concerning the immaculate conception. He, he believed he could prove that Joseph was Jesus' daddy. I said, man, uh, you're attacking the deity of Christ. You are attacking the cornerstone. Uh, if, if Christ is not God, and by the way, uh, if Joseph is Christ's daddy, he's not God. That's right. uh, if Christ is not God, we are hopeless. We, we're, nobody is saved. I'm not saved. You're, you're not saved if Christ is not God. And shortly thereafter, I, I did get off the phone with him. And it completely directed most of what I want to say this morning. And I believe that was probably a gift from the Holy Spirit. The, the, the truths that, that we'll see this morning may not be those that are hotly debated. Uh, but they, they are to some extent. Some of them are just ignored truths, which is worse. And some of them are compromised truths, which means they're not true at all anymore. We, born again believers must be able to defend the truth. Not, not only to protect ourselves, but also pr to protect the younger and less capable among us. I want you to think for a moment, this individual that I'm talking about called and engaged me. Do you believe that he is not engaging people all day, every day? I mean, for what, whatever led him to me, he was confident enough to call me and challenge and was still challenging when we got off the phone. So wherever he's working or living or shopping, he is constantly disseminating this false truth. And who is to stand against that? The believer. The Christian. Truths. Listen, these are the simple kind of truths that matter. I want you to think about these for a moment. The virgin birth of Christ. That is not a lightly held truth. If he's not born of a virgin, he's not God. He's just like you and I. The, the eternality of Christ, the sinlessness of Christ, the vicarious sufferings of Christ, the substitutionary death of Christ on our behalf, the bodily resurrection of Christ, the soon-to-be physical return of Christ, the verbal plenary inspiration and inerrancy and sufficiency of the canon of God's word, what we call the Bible. Those truths are fundamental. You cannot, you cannot compromise those truths. They are fundamental to who we are. And you should know them and be able to defend them. Look, we're not talking about how you baptize somebody, sprinkle or immerse. That's an ignorant conversation. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the literal word, what we call the... 
helping myself. Uh, we're talking about the literal foundation of what we believe. It separates us from others. I want to show you a few of those simple truths here. Look at verse 10. Verse 10. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Uh, this is a very simple statement here. God came into this world. The literal incarnation of Christ. Christ in the flesh is God with us. He, he came to us. The concept of a personal God uh, who came to us is exclusive to Christianity. There's, there's no other religion that's going to offer that. That, that thought in and of itself should be overwhelming. But for many it's kind of overlooked. Or it is over spiritualized. As in, well, yeah, I know there was a person whose name was Jesus and he died on the cross and it's his death. That, but, you know, it's, it's, he was just, I mean, maybe he was a spirit. Maybe it was a real incarnation. Maybe it wasn't. It doesn't matter. It's the whole concept we're looking at. That's a lie. It matters. He was God in the flesh. If, if God didn't come to us, there is no forgiveness of sins. The, the Bible will give you this. These are some scriptures that you can write down and look up later. Just so you know what, that you know what you know. And, and, and I want to state it clearly. If you look at verse 14. We're not covering it this morning. But verse 14. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. There's the incarnation of Christ. That's, that's simple. But there's also Philippians 2, 5 through 8. That describes how Christ would leave the throne and become a man and be humble and be a servant and be obedient to his father, even to death, even the death of the cross. There, there is also Philippians 2, 5 through 8. There is Hebrews 2, 9 through 18, which will tell you how he was made a little lower than the angels. And he took upon the nature of man. And do you know what the benefit of that is? Uh, the Bible would say that because of that, we have a high priest who can be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, who was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. You don't have that without the incarnation of Christ. It, it, uh, not only that, uh, 1 John chapter 3 will speak directly to those who says Christ did not come in the flesh. And this is how John says it in around verse 2 there. He said, if there's any spirit that witnesses to you that Christ did not come in the flesh, it is the spirit of the Antichrist. Okay, so when we, when we come to this place where we're talking about God coming into this world, we have the only belief. That that occurred. There, there are plenty of religions and even cults. And I'm not talking about specifically those cults that spun out of Christianity. Some of those are very muddy. But there are plenty of those religions. They, they won't offer you a God that became a man. They will offer you a man that becomes a God. They'll offer you as a man the opportunity to become a God. 
And there are men and women all over the world that believe they are becoming a God or they will become a God or hopefully they'll become a God. But only Christianity offers a God that became man because he loved us so much. He was willing to become man. Listen, for God to become man, he had to lay aside for a time his eternality. He had to lay aside his royalty. He had to lay aside his supremacy and he had to be made like us. That's huge. We should, that should be, uh, that should be a bedrock that we stand upon, a warmth that, that, that holds us knowing that that's the kind of God we have. Look at the statement. There are three clauses in this statement. He was in the world. That's one. The world was made by him. That's two. And the world knew him not. That's the third clause. There's three clauses in that sentence. Well, it's pretty interesting if you get to give it a little bit of a, a thought. Uh, if we look at the first two together, he was in the world and the world was made by him. Do you, do you see that? That's the first two clauses. They literally speak of the created world. When it says he was in the world, it's talking about the world you and I live in. Uh, we might would call it the atmosphere, the climate, the terra firma, whatever, whatever you want to consider it. He was in this world and this world was created by him. Listen, if we run that to its, to its extent, that means that at some point, the creator of all things that were ever created placed himself in the womb of his creature. At some point, that creature, Mary, would cradle him in her arms. It, it, it means that, that at some point, as a young child, he was totally dependent upon. And the Bible would say obedient to his parents. That means that at some point, as a man, he would walk and, and the air that he breathed was his air. He created it. The water that he drank was his water. He created it. The ground he stood on was his ground. He created it. The fruit that he ate that sustained him grew on trees that he spoke into existence. We're talking about he was in the world and the world was made by him. That thought is, is overwhelming, but it must be realized in the flesh or we're giving up. The supremacy of the God that loved us and died for us in the world. And the world was made by him. Look at that last clause. And the world knew him not. The, the third clause changes. It's talking about the quote unquote intelligent world of mankind. I want you to grasp this this morning. Because this is so important. And it is so real today. It's so applicable. It's not just Bible. It is life. I want you to think about this most vivid of realities. I want you to imagine Savior, our Savior and God walking amongst all of the elements of nature. Walking amongst all the diseases of men. Walking in the presence of death itself. All of the secrets of the human heart. Walking in the presence of the rulers of the darkness of this world. Walking in the presence of all of that and the malignity of it. 
And not only walking in it, but walking at ease. And not only at ease, but in control. I want you to, I want you to think about that phrase. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Do you remember when the Lord Jesus Christ said, peace be still and the wind stopped? Does that sound like a world that knew him not? Do you remember when he calmed the seas and they stopped? Do you remember when he said, Peter, put your net on the other side of the boat. That's where the fish are at. Does that sound like a world that didn't know him? Do you remember when he said to the fig tree, Cursed are you, you'll never bloom again, and it withered on the spot? Does that sound like a world that knew him not? We're talking about the creator. What about when he walked up on the shore of the Gadarenes and the maniac of Gadara came out and the demon cried out from inside, Jesus, thou son of David, what have we to do with you? Does that sound like a world that knew him not? Can I tell you the world that knew him not? Mankind knew him not. Can I tell you the application of that today? He still comes to this world. He's here in work. He's here in word. He's here in the work of the church, the work of the spirit, the the work of the life of the believer. And do you know who still ignores him? Intelligent mankind. God is still here. And he's still rejected. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. This is also a tricky statement. It looks pretty simple. I asked this question in the first service, so I'll do it again. So how many in here have heard preaching and or teaching on that verse? He came into his own and his own received him not. So a few. How many in here would say they're comfortable with this definition? Well, what that means is that he came to the Jewish people and the Jewish people didn't receive him. Anybody say that's what they're comfortable with? That's one way to look at it. It's, let, me, let me give you another idea. He came unto his own creation. He came into his own possession. He came into his own property. He came into his own inheritance. And the people within it received him not. That's the way this works. And listen, I want to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you right here just for a minute. Uh, I'm, I'm always honest, but I want to be uh, personally honest. If you need to know Boyle's Law. That's the hydraulic principles of why the brakes on your car work. Come see me. I can explain it to you. If you need to understand grammar, I'm not your guy. Uh, Listen, there's a grammar thing that happens in this statement. It's it's in the the gender of the word. Now, uh, this is the problem. Anybody ever been to a Spanish country? You know... In, in the Spanish country, those words are gendered by the last letters of the word. All right, here's a word for you. I used it earlier. I don't know many, so I have to stick to what I know. Hermana and hermano. Same word. One of them means sister. Hermana, hermano means brother. It's the same word other than that, right? I don't, 
I like English better. Very clearly different. Well, uh, the Greek is similar. Uh, this, this word own, he came into his own, O-W-N, and his own received him not. One of those is of a neuter gender, and one of those is of a masculine gender. The difference uh, in the transliteration, there is nothing there because it's idios. But in the Greek, one of them has an I-A on the end of it, and one of them has an O-I on the end of it. And what it means is that one of them is referring to his possessions and the other is referring to the people of it. Now, let me make it a little easier. This is much simpler. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 43, write that down. Matthew 21, 33 through 43. You go read it later and you can check me up. The Lord Jesus is talking to the religious establishment and he tells them this parable. There was a, a landowner and he made this beautiful vineyard and he put a rock wall around it, put only the best plants in it, put a press in it, put a tower in the middle of it, this beautiful vineyard, and he let it out to some people. You remember that parable? And then at some point in time when the fruit comes in, the landowner sends his servant and they stoned him. Then he sent another servant and they beat him. And then he sent more servants and they did likewise unto those servants. And then the landowner said this, I know, I'll send my son. Then they will reverence him. And he sent his son you know what those people taking that land out looked at him and said? Oh, there's the heir. Let's kill him and the inheritance will be ours. Well, see, that parable is very clear. I know you all know it. Uh, that vineyard was the nation of Israel. And those people that were taking care of it was the, the Israelites, the Jews, and the religious order. And those servants, they were the prophets that God continually sent to them trying to correct their error in the ways. And the Son is the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time He sent to them, uh, they just did away with, did away with, did away with. And they were very upset with that example. But that's exactly what's happening here. He came to his own vineyard. And the people occupying it. Did not receive him. Can I tell you why that matters today? Because this is still his creation. Indeed. You. Are his creation. And he's still. Sending his servant. The blessed Holy Spirit. And his servant is still coming to you, seeking to reap the fruit of your life. And by and large, people are still rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. And every time you reject the Holy Spirit, you crucify the Son afresh and anew. Every time. So that means if the Holy Spirit comes to you and begs uh, you to accept Christ as your Savior and you deny Him, you crucified Him again. You say, well, whoo, 
That don't apply to me. I'm born again. The Holy Spirit comes to you and moves in your heart to accomplish a work in the church. And you refuse him and reject him. You may as well crucify the son again. You've made his crucifixion of none effect. That's the picture. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Look at verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe. So we see this picture that God came to this world. God was denied by this world. Can I give you this one? God is patient with this world. Verse 12 is talking about the mechanics of redemption. Talking about the mechanics of redemption. You could highlight verse 12 and you would see these three words. Believe, receive, become. That's the words you would see. For every person that believes. He gave them the power to become. Because they receive. We would see that order. This idea of believing on his name. By the way, let me give you this real quick. Power. He gave them power. You've heard me say this a lot. A lot of times you hear this word power, and this is what you hear the preacher say. That's dunamis, dynamic or, or dynamite or, or effectual power. This is not dunamis. This is exousia. This is power that is given to you from somewhere else, from someone else. When, when it says here that to them he gave power to become the sons of God, there is Ability and authority associated with that power that you do not have in and of yourself. He gave it to you. Here we see this idea of belief and, and, and to believe on his name. And, and I want you to understand that is not some uh, intellectual assent to at some time uh, in the past there was a person named Jesus who did a thing. That's intellectual assent. It is not historical agreement where you can say, yes, I believe there was a person born in Bethlehem to a woman whose name was Mary. His name was, that's historical agreement. That's not what we're talking about. Uh, we're not talking about intellectual assent or historical acceptance. We're talking about the idea that you have recognized him as Jesus Christ, the son of God, the incarnate, the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. You've believed that. You believe every bit of it. You believe that God uh, uh, sent him uh, and sent him in a substitutionary manner to suffer in your place, to pay your sin debt. And there is no other manner. For which your sin debt can be paid. It's Christ alone. Amen. Believe on his name. Guess what happens? You receive him. You believe on his name. You receive him. What do you receive? Well the Bible says you receive a spiritual resurrection. The Bible says that you receive the Holy Spirit of God. And that he resurrects you. He quickens you. Gives you a new life. A new nature. And a new eternity. That's what you receive. When you think about the day that you believed and received, are those things associated? A spiritual resurrection, a new nature, a new name, a new eternity? To become a son of God. I want to 
share this with you for a minute. I've said this several times before. It happens to be a very powerful passage. I reference it often. In John chapter 8, the Lord Jesus Christ was talking to the religious right. And he said to them, you're in bondage of sin. In the most uh, disingenuous way, they said, we're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage. Well, that's a lie. Abraham's seed's always been in bondage. Just read the Bible. They've been in bondage a lot. We're Abraham's seed. We've never been in bondage. He said, you're not Abraham's seed. If you were Abraham's seed, you would know who I am. You are of your father, Satan. So this is the point. Uh, to them that believe, uh, they receive and he gives them the power to become the sons of God. What were they before? The children of Satan. The seed of Satan, the offspring of Adam. And until that resurrection, until that new birth, you are possessing of the old Adamic nature. And you are awaiting an eternity of outer darkness forever. But Christ said the fire is not quenched and the worm never dies. But God has given to all who believe the power to become the sons of God. Peter would say in 2 Peter uh, that God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should be saved through repentance. God is patient with this world. The Bible would say, uh, in fact, Peter says, that don't, don't confuse his patience with inability. It's grace. Look at the last verse there. Verse 13 and we'll quit. So we have God coming to this world. We have that God was denied by this world. We have that God is patient with this world. Last but not least, I want you to see that God is the hope for this world. Look at this. Which were born? Who? Those who believed and received. Became the sons of God. Those people were born, gives you three negatives and one affirmative. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Listen to me. Very important right here. <laughs> uh, your DNA will not save you. It will send you directly to hell. It is not going to be inherited from your mother or your grandmother, or your grandfather. It's not going to be imparted to you by your children. You cannot be born of God by the blood. Can't be born again by the blood, by your blood. Your blood is rotten. Then he says, not of the will of the flesh. Let me make this extremely clear. You can't will it to be done. There's nothing you can do. There's no membership. There is no... Uh, uh, participation uh, there is no amount of tithing there is no charity there is nothing you can do of your own will and volition to get yourself into a righteous state with God it can't be done now listen very clearly you have to be willing but you can't will it to be done 
Not of the will of man. Not of blood. Not uh, of the will of the flesh. Not of the will of man. Let me say it this, this way. I can't make you righteous. Your mother and father, they could pray for you till they're blue in the face. They cannot pray you into heaven. Nobody, the, the greatest preacher in the world cannot preach you into heaven. He cannot pray you into heaven. He can't bless you into heaven. It is not of the will of man. It is only of God. God is the source of salvation. And he is the only hope that we have in this world. Listen to this picture here. Uh, this commentary I read the other day. Speaking of being born of God. It is a right royal gift. And he who confers it must be absolutely divine. For who would not worship him who can bring him into the family and evoke within him the very life of the sons of God? It is of God. Amen. God came into this world in the incarnation. God was denied and rejected by this world. God is patient with this world and wants to see redemption. But God is the only hope of this world. He is the source of salvation. Would you stand with me this morning? Your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Let me ask you this morning. What about you? Are you born of God? Listen, I didn't ask you if you were a church member and ask you if you were in a Christian family. I didn't even ask you if you were a Christian. I ask you, are you born of God? Is there a time in your life where you've had a personal interaction with the Lord Jesus Christ and walked away from that interaction with a new name, a new nature, and a new spirit? I implore you this morning, if there is not a time in your life where that has happened, Come down, let's pray together. Let's, let's just ask the Lord to save you today. Maybe today you would say, listen, I, I'm there. I have that. I, I possess that. I have believed. I have received. I have become. But can I ask you this? Does your walk reflect that new birth? I, I want to be honest with you. It doesn't all the time because mine doesn't all the time. None of us do all the time. But well, does your walk reflect that new birth? Are you helping or hindering in the walk of others? It's just the facts. I don't know your need this morning, but I know the Lord and He is the provider. Father, I pray you'd bless this time of invitation. Speak to our heart, Lord. Encourage us and strengthen us. Convict us and convert us where necessary. Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Would you come this morning?
Messiah 